You know, I always tell my junior hire something. I tell them, you know, you should be preaching to yourself every day of the week. But there's something super special about corporate worship. There's something amazing about corporate worship that it refreshes you in a way that I, I never thought that I could be refreshed. So, um, while we have, uh, raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Raise your hand if you do not have a Bible, and some of the ushers will get them to you. Raise them nice and high. That's going to take a little while. While they're getting the Bibles, why don't you just turn to the person next to you, shake their hand, tell them you love them, tell them they're pretty, tell them they're beautiful. Spread the love. Spread the love. I love it. Keep your hands raised if you don't have a Bible. Keep them raised. That's good. Nice and high. I love it. (laughs) Welcome to Sunday nights, everyone. Welcome to Sunday night. You know, it's, it's really fun preaching up here, but I'll tell you something. It's more fun getting to know all of you. And uh, if I haven't met you yet, come up to me after the service. I, you know, I want to meet you. I want to get to know you. I'm really excited that you're here. Um, we are going through the chronological study of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And at this point in time, we are going to uh, be going through Jesus' uh, young adulthood, I guess the only passage in scripture that uh, addresses, I guess, what we would call his adolescence. So if you would turn, please, to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 39. I'll give you a while to get there. Give you a recap on last week. We, we learned about not necessarily the birth of Jesus Christ, but the three reactions that we have to Christ. And Aaron uh, did an amazing job of just laying out the good, the bad, and the indifferent. And how Jesus is an indicator of the heart. And how the Magi, they, they reacted to Jesus how they should have, which is worship. And this is how we ought to react to Jesus. And then we had King Herod, who, when he heard of the king of the Jews, he felt threatened. And his his throne was threatened. His pride was threatened. So he reacted badly. He reacted in a way where he wanted to dispose of Jesus because he posed a threat to his own throne, his own pride. And then we learned about the Magi, the Pharisees, Sadducees, who, who learned of the coming of the Christ, but did nothing about it. They showed indifference, apathy towards him. And so we just learned about how Jesus is an indicator of the human heart. And now we are going to be going through the title of this message is called the not so silent years. And so we're going to start at Luke chapter two, verse 39. So when they had performed all things, according to the law of the Lord, they, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit filled with wisdom And the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. 
So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. We were worried sick about you. It's mom talk. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, children. He was subject to his parents. But his mother kept all things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. God, I'm overwhelmed. God, by just the love that's in this room, Lord, and in this congregation. There's such blessings to me, Lord, and I, I feel unworthy, but also privileged to be up here and attempt to pour into them, Lord. I confess, Lord, that I have absolutely no confidence in myself, God. So, Father, I pray that you would only decrease me further, Lord, so you can increase. God, I need you. God, I want you. God, we need you. We want you, Lord. Holy Spirit, dwell in this place, Lord. Give us discernment, God, to rightly divide your word of truth, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy, mighty, and undeniable name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Before I start teaching to you regularly, not just tonight, but regularly, I want to ask you all if it's okay if I can be transparent with you. (laughs) Yes. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Um, This means... I'll be giving you a lot of my feelings and thoughts. I don't like lecturing. I like pouring into. And, and I'm really, I, I confess, I'm not good at lecturing. I'm not good at teaching. I, I, I really, I like conversation more. And so I'm just going to let you guys know ahead of time that there will be times where I will be super transparent with you, not gruesome, you know, not weird stuff, but I will be transparent with you and hoping that this can be a conversation rather than a lecture, if that's okay with you. With that being said, I will completely let you know that I struggled with this passage. I struggled. I knew that I was going to teach this two weeks ago. I would read, I would read, I would read, I would read, and nothing. Absolutely nothing. Usually at least something comes or at least some sort of idea comes to light where I can say, all right, I can track with this. I can go with this. All right, Lord, let's do this. But there was absolutely nothing all the way up until Frank, I'm going to be frank with you yesterday, last night at two o'clock in the morning. I was there just, I was at, I was in the offices just sitting there completely and totally. I have no idea, Lord. And I was growing impatient and I would read and I would read and I would read and nothing came. And I got to a point where I was super frustrated with not only myself, but also God. I'm like, God, I'm not only going to be teaching junior hires tomorrow, but I'm also going to be teaching adults. Why are you doing this to me? Why? And, and I, was, I was so angry at the silence that God was giving me. I was so angry and frustrated with the silence 
that was there. I was reading and nothing, nothing came. So I don't know if any of you do this, but I do this way too much. I went into like a hyper-spiritual coma almost where it, it was like it, I was trying to sweat the Holy Spirit into the room. Where I'm like, you know, I'm like just in a fetal position. Lord, please, you know, just getting too over dramatic for my own good. Like, you know, just in, you know, in a room, just, oh God, you know, just, just weird creep. You know, it's just, it's not right. You know, I was just totally trying to sweat the Holy Spirit into the room. You know, trying to yell the Holy Spirit into the room like he, like he, like he's, you know, like, oh, now, now I get it. Now you really mean it. You yelled? Okay, definitely. Now I'm going to come. And so I, I was just, ah, you know, I was completely met with silence with every single prayer that I gave and every single portion of scripture I went through, I was getting impatient with the silence that was there. It's getting very very impatient with the silence that was being met with me and God. Which is interesting. Considering the types of reactions this portion of scripture presents. Because this is the only time in scripture that we learn of Jesus' life between the ages of 2 and 29. And a lot of people have a huge problem with this. So much so that they freak out and make stuff up. There have been people that have literally made false gospels to fill this void. They were not satisfied in the silence that God gave, so they decided to just fill in their own stuff. One of which, are of the, the, what we call the infancy gospels, is the gospel of Thomas. So everybody turn to the gospel of Thomas for me. Some of you actually went to your Bibles. <laughs> There's no such thing as the Gospel of Thomas. I mean, there is a such thing, but God doesn't acknowledge it. All right? And I really don't even have to argue the validity of the Gospel of Thomas to you. I'm actually just going to read to you a portion of it. So you can know that this is total baloney. All right? This is from Thomas chapter 4. This is supposedly when Jesus was five. I want you all to listen. And tell me if this sounds like Jesus to you. After that again, he went through the village and a child ran and dashed against his shoulder. And Jesus was provoked and said to him, thou shalt not finish thy course. And immediately he fell down and died. But certain when they saw that this was done, whence was this young child born is what they said. For that every word of his is an accomplished work. They were praising him. He said, die? He died. Praise the Lord. And then, and then and the parents of him that was dead came to Joseph and blamed him saying, Thou that hast such a child canst not dwell in, with us in this village. Or do thou teach him to bless and not to curse? For he slayeth our children. This is, this is what people have filled in, in, in attempts to understand God more or to fill the silence that God has provided, the blessing that God gives us in silence. They have decided to just fill the void by making stuff up. There are other accounts in 
the gospel of Tom, the gospel of Thomas and other accounts where Jesus he makes clay sparrows in the side of a creek and he he molds these clay sparrows out of clay and it's on the sabbath oh no no you're not allowed to play on the sabbath right and so he's making he's making clay birds and then the pharisees they come what are you doing and he's like and, and, the, and the sparrows turned, like the clay sparrows t- turned into actual sparrows and flew away. And there's another account where Mary is literally filling up jars of <laughs> Jesus's bath water and giving it to people. And they would drink it and they'd be healed of their ailments. And so this is, this is the kind of stuff, suffice it to say, that people grew impatient with the silence that God had provided in Scripture. And they decided to fill it themselves. Just as I decided to fill the void with screaming and wailing and sweating and just being frustrated at God. I would try to make stuff up and it just wouldn't come. So what was Jesus doing this whole time? You see, it doesn't explicitly say in the gospel of Luke what, what Jesus did throughout his entire childhood. But we, could, but we can know as much about his life looking at his parents. At who Mary and Joseph were. We, we first look at Mary and her reputation was completely stained on how the conception of Jesus looked. Really think about this. Think about a young woman in, in Jewish culture, pregnant, not married yet, betrothed. You can just imagine the ridicule she went through. By common law, she was allowed to be stoned. That was just common law. You, stone her. Due to ridicule and trials she would face, her trust in God was so crucial. And we see this, that she responds with worship when the angel Gabriel says, blessed are you among women. She's like, of course, I am blessed. I'm going to go through trials, fiery trials, face death. But do you know what? God has decided to use me. You can just imagine what type of surrender and obedience it took for Mary. Just imagine her character, her uprightness to mother the savior of the universe. Imagine the type of resolve and the type of trust she had to have in God. We also know that Mary was a mom, right? Mary was a mom. And, and a lot of times we think of Mary as just this holy, you know, just, and she what? You know, she was totally, totally amazing, but she was also a mom. And she's like, why have you done this to us? your father and I have thought you anxiously. It's like, you have worried how thick. Are you kidding me? She gave Jesus the whole, like, in public, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, in front of everyone, Mom, you, you know, the Pharisees are here. Don't. You know, it's, you're embarrassing me. It, it's like, it, you know, Mary was a mom, okay? She still had, you know, she was a mom. She was worried, okay? She sought Jesus, all right? She took care of Jesus. She mothered Jesus. It wasn't like that thing where she didn't have people waiting on her hand and foot, you know, raising Jesus for her. She was a mom, a good mom, too. A dang good mom. Then we look at Joseph, who was an equally amazing father. He was chosen to be Jesus' earthly father. Think about that. Think about the type of man you have to be to be God's adopted father. The, The Christ's adopted father. Just think about this for a second. What type of man you have to be. It says that he was upright and he was a just man. A just man. 
His reputation when Mary was pregnant was also at stake. Who do you think the first one that they would blame for Mary's pregnancy was? Joseph. He was ridiculed probably equally as much as Mary. But we see that he loved Mary so much that he was going to put her away silently. He loved Mary so much that he was able, he was able to love her still. Imagine the lengths he must have gone through to protect Mary. I bet Mary's father was livid. Think about that. Think about the lengths that Joseph had to go through to protect Mary. Not only Mary, but Jesus. Constantly sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Constantly sensitive to what God was telling him. And think about this too, that God always went to Joseph. God always went to Joseph when it came to the protection of his child. Think about that. He was responsible for the safety of the savior of the world. Every single time trials entered, when Herod was going to kill Jesus, he said, listen, Joseph, get to Egypt. And what it took for Joseph to be constantly obedient to the word of God was amazing. Not questioning, not complaining. He was self-sacrificing and unquestionable resolve and obedience. He was also a carpenter. And we find out about his income, not substantial, not a rich man. Carpenters did not make bank back then, okay? Historians would say that they would put the family of Mary and Joseph lower middle class, if that. Maybe upper lower class. This was the house that Jesus grew up in. With these type of parents, Jesus grew up in a very simple, lower middle class, God-fearing, God-loving, God-respecting home. He had brothers and sisters. Probably had to share a bed with most of them. Had to share a bathroom. Brothers and sisters, I mean, there was a lot of them too. He was raised to work hard. Joseph taught him carpentry. And he did that for about 18 years, carpentry. He helped financially support his family. And he learned how the value of hard work and a good trade. These were the silent years of Jesus. The silent years of Jesus. And God chose for his son to be raised in a home that was powerless without God. Absolutely powerless. If you think about Joseph, if you think about Mary, if you think about the entire situation that both of them were under. If you think about the financial circumstances, the spiritual circumstances, if you think about the economical circumstances. We know that this exact family was absolutely powerless without God. In fact, the entire family, not, not in the entire family, but Jesus would have been slaughtered if it not for a, when Mary was pregnant for Joseph's mercy. We know that immediately Mary would have been stoned with that baby in her stomach, in her womb. If it were not for the justness and the mercy of Joseph And then we learned that Jesus also would have been slaughtered if Joseph had not been obedient to God when he said, flee for Egypt. God chose for his son to be raised in a home that was completely powerless without him. Why? Many reasons. The majority of the world is made up of the powerless. Think about it. I mean, I'm powerless. I'm subject to everyone. I'm a teenager. I'm subject to everyone. Most of us are powerless. I don't, I don't assume there's too many multimillionaires in here. We're powerless. 
It's the majority of the world, and Jesus grew up in a home that knew that. What it meant to be financially powerless and to be born into a situation where there's ridicule, where there's shame, where there's all types of trials. This is the type of environment that our Savior grew up in. And anything beyond these facts are pure speculation. You can go into his, history and, and, and maybe look, but I want to let you know that Jesus kept a pretty low profile. And, and, and so much so that when he went to Nazareth to preach, they identified him as the carpenter's son, not, not the prophet. Do you guys remember this story where, where, where Jesus went back to Nazareth to preach in his own country? And they said, is this not the carpenter's son? That's what he was known as. It's not like Jesus when he was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, all the way up until he was in his late 20s. It's not like he was flaunting the fact that he was the Messiah. He wasn't here, look at me, gents, I'm the son of God. Water, wine, bam. He waited. He was patient. He was self-sacrificing. He provided for his family. He knew the value of hard work. He built relationships. And when people knew him, it wasn't like that's the son of God. He kept a very low profile until his time had come. He was patient in the silent times. Keep in mind, he was patient in the silent times. And when people identified him, it's, it's, it's not like, he's back, the Messiah is back. It's like, this is the carpenter's son. I mean, and now he's claiming to be Christ. I mean, that's, that's kind of extreme, Jesus. I mean, he made an armoire for my living room, but it wasn't that great. You know, it, it wasn't like that awesome. I mean, it was an arm, you know, it was good, it was fancy, you know. I mean, there's little roses, but I mean, okay. It wasn't like Jesus screamed Messiah in his childhood. He kept a low profile. He was patient. And so as I was preparing this sermon for all of you, or at least trying to, I grew super impatient. Very, 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 very impatient with God. So impatient that I just contemplated because we're supposed to follow Damien Kyle's outline. I grew so impatient that I was just thinking, copying Damien Kyle's sermon and regurgitating it out to you. This is, at, this is the point I was at. I'm just like, do you know what? It's two o'clock in the morning. I, absolutely not. You know, and I was growing so impatient that I was just going to do some theological vomiting for you, you know, just, you know, soak it all up, you know, and just give you guys, you know, a sermon that really wouldn't have been from the heart at all because I was growing so impatient. Then God gave me the Holy Spirit boot, if you will, give me a Holy Spirit kick back in the head like he loves to do. And he sent me to Deuteronomy 1. If any of you are quick Bible turners, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting at verse 42. And verse 42 says this, you know, this is right after, you know, God had said, hey, there's your promised land, go get it. And they're like, "Uh, no, God, they're huge, we're good, okay? And then, finally, you know, they're getting themselves pumped up, you know, they're going, you know, they're kind of, you know, praying, they're like, oh, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. You know, hey, let's, I'm I'm feeling pumped, feel my muscles, feel my muscles, all right, let's go, let's do this. And they're all hyper, they're all hyper and ready to just go in and battle and go take back the promised land, but they had not previously obeyed the Lord, so now the Lord's saying, wait, wait, to the Israelites. And, And the Lord said to me, this is Moses talking, tell them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you. 
lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Seir to Amor. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, and the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. He's like, I don't want to hear you whining. I told you not to go. I told you not to go. I told you to wait. I told you to wait, and you didn't. The Israelites, you know, they made it near the promised land. God says go. They say no. God says wait. They say charge. So I realized that I do this all the time. I do this every day of my life. The whole concept of waiting on the Lord baffles me. The whole concept of waiting and being in peace in the silence completely, I'm dumbfounded by it. When I try to take a break, my family will attest to this. When I try to take a break, when I try to take a day off, I grow restless and try to find something to do. I go back to the church and I do more work. I have to be doing something. I'm always planning my next plan of attack. What can I do for God? What can I do for God? What can I do for God? Even if it means getting ahead of his plan. Jesus waited 30 years for his time to come. Meanwhile, he did two things. Two things. He grew and he increased. That's what it says. He grew and he increased. I am so bad at this. Because I have this thing in my head, we're making a new move, making a next move, and, and really just going on mission, not even thinking about it. That's progression. And we do this in American society too, where if, something, if something's stagnant, if we stop for just a second, we freak out. We have to do something. We have to do something. We have to occupy ourselves or we get restless, not only with ourselves, but with God as well. Because, hey, God, you need to keep up with me, man. I'm going fast. You better keep up. This is what I do every single day where I'm like, God, I'm over here. I'm over here. Where are you going, man? And he's just waiting there. Just I'm like, well, what are you doing? And so then I find myself in a place where I'm trying to prepare a sermon for people. And I'm all the way over here. And God's over here. He's just like, hey, what's up? Go back over here. Go back over here. God doesn't really talk that way. Like, that's not his, like, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. That's Zach translation. Give to tongues. <laughs> Forget I said that. And in the silence and absence of knowledge, we search for where God may be. We have a perfect frame. You know, Jesus did three, he did two things in the silent times. In these 30, you know, these 20 something years where, where his public life of ministry had not yet started, he, in verse 40, and the child grew and became strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. These are the two things he did in the silent times. In the silence, in the absence, we search for where God may be. Job, family, relationships. We search for these things. Because we're going at such a fast pace that we just totally lose sight of what God wants. Oh, he's not keeping up, so I better keep going. God's not keeping up for me, so I better just jumpstart this thing right now. 
jumpstart this relationship, jumpstart this, this, and this, because God, you know, he's not, he's not tracking with me. He doesn't get it. We search for our own God in things like finances and jobs and, and relationships. If I can get this perfect, then my life will be perfect. And then we go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because we're never satisfied because we can never settle in the silence. Never settle in the silence, the beautiful silence that God has given us. Mary and Joseph looked all over the place for Jesus. Spent three days looking for Jesus, but they didn't even look at the temple where the Son of God probably would be chilling, right? I mean, you think, you know, the Savior of the universe, Son of God, you know, the Chosen One, Emmanuel, God with us, you'd think he'd be in the temple. But Mary and Joseph, in their frantic, in, in, in their hyperness, in their franticness, in their panic, they searched for God elsewhere. Probably went to the candy store, shoe store, you know, they probably went all over the place. Magic Mountain, you know, they're looking for all of these things. But they didn't even bother to go to the temple where God is obviously, and he's declared where he, he dwells. This is why Jesus says, why do you seek me? He's not, he's not rebuking his parents. Come on, mom. Duh. I'm God. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, why did you seek me? You should have known I would be waiting here for you. You should have known I'd be in the place of the Lord where God has said that he would be. We're so frantic looking, you know, for just the next step in our career and the next step in our relationships. So excited that we don't even wait in this. We don't look at this. Some of you may be in a point where you don't have a clear, clean cut vision. And this is, you know, what I was preaching to my junior hires. You're in this place where you don't have that specific calling yet. One minute they want to be firemen, one minute they want to be a chef. It's like, but adults are no different. You know, we, we, may, we may have established careers, we may have marriages, but, you know, we're, we're still confused, looking for what's next. What's the future hold? There's always a future, and it always scares us. And it's never, it's because it's never certain. We're just waiting for God to come down in lightning and say, bam, that's what you're supposed to do. I know I wait for that all the time. I wait for that divine revelation where Jesus is going to come back, get on my level, and he's going to say, listen, this is exactly what you need. Here's a grocery list. Here you go. Never once has God ever came down and said, this is exactly what I want from you. Like audibly in my ear, say, this is it. Now, he's told me things through prayer and through word, and I respond. But God has never explicitly, with his voice, said, this is exactly what I want you to do. Exactly, word for word. This is my divine lightning revelation right on top of you. No. But what do we do until we have that divine revelation? That's exactly what God wants me to do. What do we do in that gap? What do we do in that silent time? Or maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Or maybe your kids are going astray. 
what are you doing? And, and, and then God seems silent. You pray to him and you read his, you know, you read his word. But he's like, why aren't you saying anything, God? Why aren't you saying anything? And we grow frustrated. and We feel like we're entitled to God's answers. And I'll never forget this. One, one day, it, ha- it, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes I, just, I was super pissed off, like a God. I don't know why. I was hormonal teenagers. It's like, whatever, you know? But I was like super mad. I was super mad. It was over like the most stupid stuff. And I was so mad. And I, you know, I took a drive and I'm just, I'm just angry. I don't know why I'm angry. So I put on angry music to make me more angry. And then I'm just like, oh, and I'm driving. I drove all the way to Santa Barbara just because, you know, the beach is beautiful. So maybe God will talk to me there, right? You know, maybe God will talk to me in a place where it's prettier, you know? And so, you know, I, I park, you know, I put in park, you know, I grab out, I forgot turn off the lights, so I turn off the lights, and I go back, and I forget my Bible, and I go get my Bible, and I'm like, ah, you know, everything's just getting more and more frustrating, and then I sit, I just sit there, and I'm like, God, why don't you talk to me, super mad, just like, ah, I'm, I'm your son, I'm entitled to your voice, I'm entitled to your voice, why don't you talk to me, come on, God, and then I went in that hyper-spiritual mode again. Come on, God! Just, you know, totally over-dramatic. And then I got super silent. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please talk to me. Please talk to me. Please talk to me. You know, I'm just, I'm trying to muster up some sort of spiritual energy. Just, and in this silence, no joke, this is what happened. In the, in the very silence, I had no idea I was near train tracks. No idea. Absolutely. If you guys know where Emma Wood is, that's where I was, okay? Emma Wood, I was just sitting there. I'm just, oh, God. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, burr, 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 huge freight train just, just you know, passing me. I, my pants fall off. I'm just like, whoa. And, and I was so scared. I was so freaked out. It was, it was insane. Like, I wet my pants a little bit. And it was, it was bad. And I was just thinking. I was thinking. I was thinking. What if God actually spoke? I think I'd be way more scared. I, de- I, I have the audacity to yell at God and I demand a response from him. Whew. Those of you who read Job, you know how that works out. <laughs> Hurricanes, lightning, just who is this? Like, I, I thought a train scared me. <laughs> the voice of God? Oh, thank you. So in this time of silence, even this time of silence now where I'm not certain what the future holds for myself. Some of you aren't certain what the future holds for you. My suggestion for you is grow, become strong in the spirit, just as Jesus did in that silent hour. Fill yourself up with wisdom and the grace of God will be upon you. And increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Break that down. Grow and become strong in the spirit. Learn to have a heart of worship for God. Work those spiritual muscles. Use those spiritual muscles that God has given you through his divine grace. Do not sit there and just wait for God to bark orders. Look, it's right here. Stop waiting. Stop waiting for God to speak to you. Learn to be content in the silence and rest on God's promises. 
enjoy the grace of God. Some of you may feel like God just doesn't talk to me. He's silent. He doesn't seem so absent and so silent when you're just basically enjoying the very fact that you're saved from endless, endless torment in hell. I forget that all the time. Every day, I have to remind myself of this. I'm not entitled to anything. I need to grow in the spirit. I need to fill myself up with wisdom. I need to know how to recognize God's voice first before he speaks to me. What does God's voice actually sound like? It's all here. How am I supposed to rejoice in the times where God is totally speaking if I cannot first rejoice in the times where he's silent? Increase in wisdom and in stature. Stature doesn't mean let yourself go and get fat. That's not it. Okay? Increase in wisdom and in stature. Increase in wisdom. Grow as a Christian. Do not remain here. The Christian life is progression, but you can progress in the silence. And it's right here. Find fellowship with people. Do not be a closet Christian. And don't read your Bible only on Sundays and sometimes Wednesdays. Increase in wisdom and in stature. And in favor with God and with men. God rewards the faithful. And a lot of the times we, we see faithfulness as the fact that I'm, I have faith in God that he will fulfill his promises. And that is faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Your faithfulness is, can God count on you? Can God count on you? And yes, we all make mistakes. There's grace. But can God count on you? When that time does come, when, where he does tell you something directly, is he going to be able to count on you to actually follow through with it? Are you going to be able to say whether you like what he says or not? Are you going to be able to say, yes, Lord, just as Mary did? And Joseph, increase in favor with God and with men. We're here on a Sunday night. This is not a class. This is a family. Right? I'm not your teacher. I'm your fellow sinner and brother and Lord. This is a family. Embrace each other. As brothers and sisters, do not waltz in, listen to the worship. Oh, that was nice. Listen to the message. Oh, he's a little weird. And then leave. That's not how church works, ladies and gentlemen. America has, has skewed this view of church where it's consumeristic, where we just come in, we listen, we get filled up and we leave. This is a family. Increase in favor with God and with men. Grow together. Express your trials and troubles with one another. Pray with one another. I'm telling you, Christians, the greatest thing on earth is fellowship with not only God, but with his people. It saves my life. You, all of you here, 
I'm so encouraged by all of you. If it weren't for Pastor Brett, Pastor Tony, Pastor Rob, I have no idea what I'd do. If it weren't, you, you guys, you know, I do everything on the Lord, but you're also a huge, I want to serve you. And that's why I was so frustrated when God wasn't speaking. Like, I want to do them. I want to do right by them. I want to do right by them. They're my family. They're not my students. You're not my students. You're not Aaron's students. You're not Rob's students. You're brothers and sisters. You're our sheep. We love you. Increase in favor with God and men. Be somebody that not only God can count on, but others can count on. I'm going to close with Isaiah chapter 40, if you all want to turn there. It's a classic Christian verse. Might as well. Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to start at verse 30. We're just going to do two verses. But Isaiah 40, verse 30. Actually, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, it is. Isaiah 40, verse 30 through 31, they say this. Even you shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How does this work? How on earth can waiting be progression? This is something that baffles me. How can waiting be progression? When the will of the Father comes in, waiting becomes progression. Waiting becomes progression. When we stand still in the presence of the Lord and submit to his will, that is when we find the next step. The next step. Waiting becomes progression. We are in a dark place, ladies and gentlemen. A dark, dark place. Darkness surrounds us. And God's word is what? A lamp unto our feet. Waiting is progression. If I drop that lamp and I run as fast as I can, I'm going to fall into something or into something. Waiting is progression. Prayer is progression. Studying is progression. Relationship is progression. Don't feel like if you're not going to the next career, to the next relationship, to the next level in your finances, to the next home, to the next car, do not think that that's progression by any means. You'll find yourself in a hole that you can't dig out of. God will renew our strength and he shall mount us up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Wait upon the Lord. In the silent times, Jesus was humble and waited upon the Lord. Some of you may be very stressed about how your life's going right now. Take a deep breath. Wait upon the Lord. This is something I need to work on. So I hope that all of you keep me accountable. 
my college group that I teach is here. Do I have a hard time waiting on the Lord? Yeah. (laughs) Very hard time waiting on the Lord. I'm in this with you. Amen? Amen? Let's worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time. Lord, we praise you for the fact that unlike any other religion, like unlike any other relationship, to wait is to progress. God, and you will give us that divine calling. But in between the callings, Lord, in between the times where we recognize your spirit, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would simply progress and relax and enjoy your presence. God, I pray that we would grow in wisdom, grow in stature. I pray for those that are just feeling tight and uneasy. They feel tension in their lives because they're they're desperately trying to progress, Lord, and it's just not working. Lord, I pray that they would wait upon you. They would not grow weary or frustrated in the silence, Lord. They would rejoice in the fact that you have made yourself known in the silence. And that through prayer, fasting, and your word, and fellowshipping with you and your people, Lord, we find your calling. We find your divine and beautiful and overwhelming love. Heal our hearts tonight, Lord. Refresh us. Pour into us throughout the week. Heal us. Help us fellowship with one another and love one another. Pray for those husbands in here, Lord. May they go home and love their wives, Lord. Pray for those wives, Lord. May they go home and love their husbands, Lord. Pray for those children, Lord, just as Jesus was subject to his parents, Lord. I pray that children would find joy in being subject to their parents. Relaxation, Lord, and knowing that you are in control and we're not. Heal our hearts as we worship, Lord. May worship be an outpouring of what you have just declared in your word. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' holy, loving, magnificent name.